Welcome to this week's episode of 84 Ounces to Freedom. I'm Mr. Cole. And I am the Sultan of Zanzibar. And we talk trucks. Nothing but trucks. There will be nothing except discussion of trucks on this recording. So, since we talked about nothing that you wanted to talk about last (laughs) week, maybe we should... um, Well, I mentioned... A Glenn Beck episode I listened to with Brad Meltzer last yes. week. So the he does a, a an interview section where he talks to a single person, and I don't typically you listen to them there on Saturdays. So it's like an hour and a half with a person, and uh, he had Brad Meltzer on. If you don't know who he is, he's a famous author, writes excellent um, books that are fictional, but they also involve a lot of true history about America a lot of times things we don't know about that we don't ever get taught in school um, every one of his books I've read I've I've always learned something that just amazes me that I didn't know he had a show on the History Channel for a he while he had a show too. on the History Channel Decoded or something yes Decoded is a great show and it does that kind of thing it kind of like if you think National Treasure movie but like his stuff is real and he found the 9-11 flag. Oh, yeah. That's that was right. a thing that I recall him. So so the, the flag that was in the famous shots of George W. giving the 9-11 bullhorn speech, which probably occurred the day after 9-11, um, I believe it was draped over a burned-out fire truck, I think, that he was using as a platform. Or that flag was... was raised by firefighters over the smoldering 9-11 ruins. Um, That flag was important to history, and it disappeared for a long time. And Brad found it and got it back. And that's an amazing story. If you ever get the opportunity to listen to him tell that story, I recommend you, you, you take it. Yeah, and um, th- this particular interview, I, I mentioned to Dave, dude, you got to listen to this one. Um, I even put it on my Facebook. I just put, listen to this episode, trust me. And uh, I don't think anyone even hit like or anything because they see Glenn Beck's name and it freaks people out. But they they started talking about his book, and, and Brad Meltzer is talking about how in his new book, it's about George Washington had discovered there was a plot to kill him. And he got as far as saying, and then, you know, he built a gallows, and then Glenn Beck goes, whoa, 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 uh, let's not give away the whole book right away. And Brad's like, okay, and um, they start talking about other things and never talk about the book ever again in the whole interview. But the interview was amazing. Um, I messaged mess hit brad Meltzer on the messenger and and told him you know um this episode was was very emotional and it really me made me feel like an american i love what you're doing for literacy he's doing things to get his books out there to our troops when they have nothing else to read and they're on a submarine and stuff and i just love that kind of stuff and and he actually responded and said uh you know, that means a lot. Thank you so much. So that was very cool. Uh, some guy like that, you know, I just am a, you know, a 45-year-old metalhead that works at a hardware store for a guy like, you know, an accomplished author to respond for me to me. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, definitely an awesome experience. And uh, <clears throat> haven't got your book yet, Brad, but I intend to read it as soon as I can because I'd learned jack shit about it from your episode. And uh, gonna have to find out firsthand, I guess. Boy, they they um, they probably did that on purpose. Yeah, to tease yeah. it and then to to like completely walk away from what they titillated you with, but expert remain, marketers. Yeah, to sort of remain likable and keep your interest. You you, they really showed you, man. <laughs> yeah, they they got me. They got me. But you were telling me about, so speaking of George Washington, you were telling me something about another story about him. No, it's Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln. Yeah, so I, so my wife and I have um, 
begun to watch pretty regularly together a YouTube channel called The History Guy. And I don't know this guy's name, um, but his YouTube channel's tremendous. I, I think it's just The History Guy on YouTube. And he's tremendous. He, he tells, um, I believe that he says they're five minutes of history. I think they run eight to 11 minutes, but he probably gives you the story from history. And then at the end of some of these, he sort of goes, uh, he sort of waxes philosophical, which to me makes it even better. I like that. He's like us. Nothing's accurate. Yeah, no, no. He, 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 he gives his two cents, but he, he, um, does it in a way that's unifying. He doesn't, he doesn't, I don't think alienate really anyone. It's, it's in, in areas that are controversy, he wades the controversies carefully. And at any rate, um, the history guy's great. Can't recommend it enough. I, it seems like so many times these historical things are like, only attractive to dad and mom is sort of bored with it my wife loves these it's something we watch together and to the extent that if she catches me like watching one without her you know it's like cheating like if my wife calls tell her i'm with another woman don't tell her i'm watching <laughs> history guy without her but i watched one recently on robert todd lincoln who is the son of abraham lincoln and he went on to be a statesman uh, on his own. He was um, like with the State Department and he worked on the staff of other politicians. And he was a, an official in many different aspects, although he never ran for president. He had people telling him that he should run for president. Um, and he lived on into the 20th century. But the most extraordinary um, nugget from the History Guy's wrap-up on him was something that I can't believe that I've never heard of, because how could people not know this? It's way more interesting than any of the stuff I was compelled to learn in my U.S. history class in you know the 10th grade or whatever. But um, Robert Todd Lincoln, the son of the president abraham lincoln was on a train platform and he actually fell and was in about to be crushed by a, a train that was coming and he was saved by someone unlikely this person reached down and grabbed him by the collar and pulled him up on the platform and kept him from being killed by a train and that person was um was edwin booth and you may recognize the the name booth uh from being john wilkes booth edwin booth was the brother of john wilkes booth who shot president lincoln wow and when I heard that, I was flabbergasted. And it turns out that Edwin Booth and John Wilkes Booth were on opposite sides of the political divide. They were both actors, and they were both important actors of their day. But Edwin Booth was horrified by the pro-slavery opinions of his brother and by... Um, his brother's opinions. Now, I believe actually that the act of Edwin Booth saving Robert Todd Lincoln took place before the assassination of President Lincoln. I think oh. it actually took place before. And and it was not presented that way in the History Guys video, at least obviously to me. I think I, I subsequently read that it happened slightly before that. Oh, wow. But... Um, goodness gracious, the small world of 19th century American, yeah. um, respectable society. Like what are the odds that something like that could be the case? I was, I could not believe it. And the fact that these true stories out there 
exist that are so much cooler than anything in, you know, the latest sitcom or Hollywood feature presentation. It always sort of makes me wonder why we're willing to sit through fiction. Yeah. Like, there's there's true stories out there that are cooler than 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 fiction that's a that's a crazy story and that i hope that you know it would be neat to have that told where like dicaprio was playing yeah edwin booth or something like that i don't know yeah definitely a cool story something i've never heard of before um i do have uh since we started out talking about glenn beck i have another this is in his book, Miracles and Massacres, Chapter 12. I'm giving Dave the book now since he hasn't read it. Um, it's a book of a bunch of short stories, but I really was captivated by this story, and I've heard him talk about this on his show, too. Um, the title of this uh, story in the book is The Missing 9-11 Terrorists, um, The Power of Everyday Heroes. And uh, this is about a guy named Muhammad al Qatani. Um, you know, the, the 9-11 attacks were, were, you know, I think one of the most horrible things in our history. And um, this story particularly comes to the, the one plane that was crashed and um, by Americans that stopped them from reaching their, their goal. Um, there was a movie made about this that I never watched because I it's just so just thinking about it made me feel feel terrible i'm like i never watched it either i've watched it recently really and it's just it like like you feel your stomach in your throat the whole time yeah because you know and there it's just um but there's kind of a reason why they were able to do what they did they think and uh, it all stemmed back from this guy uh Mohammed al Qatani is a Saudi citizen and Al-Qaeda agent that had been detained in uh, Guantanamo Bay detention camp in Cuba since 2002. He is allegedly to have tried to enter our country as the 20th hijacker on September 11th. So their whole plan on those attacks with the four planes was to have five guys on each plane. Yeah, why were there 19 hijackers? Like, who the fuck does anything with groups of 19? That's not a thing. Because this guy got stopped by someone who just did his job. Yeah. He should have been on flight 93 with four other hijackers. Um, He was fingerprinted by an immigration agent, Jose Melendel Perez, and he was sent back to Dubai as he was suspected of trying to become an illegal immigrant. So what what bothered this immigration offer, officer was he had a one-way ticket and not enough money to like get back. So what what are you doing? He was he was suspecting him of like trying to stay in the country illegally. Um, so when things started feeling fishy and didn't add up, he sent him back. Uh, he was later captured in Afghanistan in the Battle of Tora Bora. But thanks to um, that one guy who recovered his fingerprints, and he kind of tricked him. He fingerprinted him before he said, now you're going back. Um, they were able to identify this guy later when he was captured, and he was identified as a 20th hijacker. The plane he was supposed to be on was the only one that didn't complete its mission. Due to the amazing heroics of Americans on the plane by the passengers and the crew, um, it crashed into a field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. All 44 people on the plane were killed. Um, The film United 93 is is the the film I was mentioning. Um, And there's also a documentary on Discovery called The the flight that fought back and i haven't watched that um it's believed that information given by al Qatani ultimately led to the execution of osama bin laden too that's the kind of idea that uh, glenn beck puts forward in his book uh interestingly dick cheney authorized flight 93 to be shot down but uh after th- there were no planes close enough and the only two planes in the air weren't armed which changed 
now they always have planes that are armed and ready so at any moment they can take but the plane had already crashed before those two planes were within 100 miles and they literally had instructions to try to force it down by like ejecting and crashing into the plane which yeah. is amazing concept there uh, but after the the crash uh dick cheney said quote i think an act of heroism just took place on that plane end quote um so 2996 the- people were killed on 9-11 and when i think about that a lot of stuff you read about this al Qatani guy was how badly he was treated in Guantanamo Bay and the torture he was subjected to. Right. So when they listed the tortures, what I was reading, um, I know guys that have suffered infinitely worse just in college. You know? <laughs> it, like, no, almost 3,000 Americans were killed because of something this guy was a part of. I don't think it's a problem if we kept him naked and cold and played Metallica for 24 hours. So wait, where was that? Was that flight coming from Pittsburgh? Because as I'm looking at the map, it looks like it was coming from Pittsburgh. Does, do we do we know that? So what's interesting, you learn this from the movie. Um, well, and, and I don't know how much of the movie is true. The, the people on the plane thought that they were going to land and um, basically be a hostage situation where they negotiate for money and they're going to be let go it's been done because the plane turned around and they thought oh we're going back to the airport they're going to land everything's going to be okay Mm -hmm. people start talking to their relatives and stuff and they're finding out hey other planes have crashed into the twin towers and um they're finding out this is part of something bigger this this plane is going to crash where did the plane take off from i'm not sure i didn't get that in my notes So I'm looking at where, wherever it took off from. It was probably New York, right? But yeah, I, the Somerset in Pennsylvania, like where it crashed, is kind of halfway between D.C. and Pittsburgh. So that's why I asked if it took off from Pittsburgh. Ultimately, though, I just Googled these things on the Google Maps, and it's 160 miles from the Capitol building in D.C., um, where this plane went down and that plane is capable of cruising at 600 miles an hour which is 10 miles a minute in just under 16 minutes that would have taken to impact the capitol building yeah that's how tight the timeline was for that thing for those people to stage the fight that they did and do what they did that's pretty crazy yeah and it's it's The film shows like uh, government agencies and stuff and air traffic controllers on that day, what happened. It's extremely disturbing because we all know what happens, you know. They're not going to get out of that plane. It, um, just amazing heroism there. And uh, I didn't know anything about a 19th guy. And that his capture ultimately led to the execution of Osama bin Laden. And uh, all because some, you know, an immigration officer uh, did his job. You know, he took that guy's fingerprints and sent him home. And uh, like, where is that guy now? Talk about like unsung heroes. Like, yeah, Joseph. That guy's probably sitting in like sexual harassment training as part of like the. The yearly grind of being some bureaucrat working for the federal government. Jose M. Perez, unsung hero behind the scenes. You yeah, know. you know, hat tip to you, Jose. I'm sitting here sipping the Freud 10. It does it's smell delightful. like band-aids in here, certainly. I wish I, wish I could buy you one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we... Um, we also checked out the History Guys recap of the uh, the Clipper ship, or the uh, Clipper airliner that had to go the wrong way around the world oh, yeah. after Pearl Harbor. That was kind of an interesting story. Um, I like that Americans in Africa brought them cold beer. Dude. It was Budweiser, right? Beer saves the day every time. So American. 
It was probably Pabst, by the way. It might have been. Probably PBR. Probably PBR back then. So that was really cool. So if you've if you're unfamiliar with the story, in in the early 1940s, air travel across the Pacific would have been uh, aboard a Pacific Clipper, which was a huge flying boat essentially, that was a luxury airliner that would cross the Pacific with fuel stops at Hawaii and Tahiti and a few other places. Um, at great expense. Well, these these ships were doing their thing when Pearl Harbor happened. And so there was a ship that was on its way to Australia, had already passed Hawaii and was headed east when Pearl Harbor occurred. And their normal route would have been to fuel up in Australia and fly back, but that was no longer possible because the world had plunged into world war within minutes. Right. Pearl Harbor occurs, FDR occurs, uh, declares war promptly, and they had to then just figure out how to get home by going the other way around the world without uh, infrastructure like planned fuel stops and money to buy fuel and you know all of the things that airplanes are delicate and complicated and it takes a million things to keep them working and they had none of it and um, the story that they that, that they racked up figuring out how to get back home has mind blowing details they had no money. They they had to borrow money. Yeah, so they had the banker to use, gave them like five hundred bucks. Air, airplanes are designed to run on a fuel called one hundred low lead, or it's a hundred octane fuel. And they were given automotive fuel instead, and just hoped it would work, and it did kind of. Um, they had to fly across uncharted parts of the Middle East. They flew directly over, was it either Mecca or Medina in Saudi Mecca. Arabia? Yeah, they flew over Mecca. Um, you know, they in, just didn't have anti-aircraft, so they were lucky. Today, in 2019, you do it now. I can fly to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia right now and visit, but somewhere between Mecca and Riyadh on the highway, there's a huge sign, which I've seen pictures of, that says, if you are a Christian or a Jew and you proceed past this sign, we will kill you. You're not allowed to go to this place. And they flew over that city and would have been shot down and killed. Or if they had to make an emergency landing, they would have been killed and just got lucky that it worked out. Um, they, Some of the most mind-boggling things that occurred is, is their government fucking them along the way like small local governments remember there's there's nothing more tyrannical and and frustrating than an empowered local bureaucrat so they finally get to the western hemisphere and they land in brazil because if you're taking the shortest route across the atlantic over water it lands you in brazil just because of the way that brazil juts out westward and they land in Brazil, and the local Brazilian government requires that they stop to have the entire plane disinfected because of the threat of yellow fever. Oh, and yeah. then the local Brazilian bureaucrats stole all their money and passports and paperwork and everything else. And then they, then they, I think they, they finally stop in Trinidad, which is an actual Pan Am airline facility where they can finally be, you know, relieved properly. And they fly back to New York, which was their final destination. And as they're approaching, air traffic control in LaGuardia makes them circle for an hour That's before crazy. they can land. Because, because, you know, why not? Fucking why not? It's like a municipal airport. Let's just, like, fuck with these guys. How frustrating. Anyway, they should have come home to a hero's welcome. It's a largely under, uh, untold story. The truth is that 
the, the, the pilots of this thing should be played in a feature length film by like George Clooney and Brad Pitt, like next year. No, like, like fuck you, Hollywood for what you make. Like you, you're going to make all these movies that are stupid. Like this story is so cool. It would be amazing to have it told, but you'll never tell it. I don't know why. That's my rant for the uh, day. Some rich RN should <laughs> make this movie. I don't know any rich RNs. Me neither. All the RNs I know are like stressed out, poor with drinking problems. <laughs> yeah, totally. So do you? I I I got a choice here. I have a long story or a not so long story. I vote for both. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go with the shorter one first. This is uh, from literature, <clears throat> also from history. Um, this is. I want to talk about the book called Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, and and actually, this isn't so much about the book so much. This is more about the true history of of what this book of is about. Basically, it's about a guy named John Joel Glanton, spelled G-L-A-N-T-O-N. For some reason, it's hard for me to say that name, you know? He was born in South Carolina in 1819. Supposedly, um, at a young age, he broke the law in Tennessee before his family moved to Texas. It's rumored that his fiancée was murdered by Lapan Apaches when he was age 16. Later, he was accused of murdering a Mexican civilian, and he fled from the American Army police. After seeing action in central Mexico with uh, Winfield Scott's army, Glanton and a group of followers were hired by the Mexican authorities to kill bands of Apache Indians in northern Mexico. This is where I had it wrong. We were talking about this a while ago. I thought America paid these guys. It was a Mex. It was Mexico, the Mexican government that paid them to um, kill these bands of Apache on the border. Um, the, so the Glanton band was born in the summer of 1849. The way they got is it Glanton or Clanton? Glanton with a G. Okay. So the way they got paid was based on the number of scalps they delivered. Yeah. So in an effort to get paid as lucratively as possible. They killed and scalped Apaches, Apaches, as well as peaceful farming Indians and Mexican citizens, Mexican citizens indiscriminately. So they just started killing everybody. If you had dark hair, you know your scalp was game. Sure. Uh, the Glanton gang was uh, good at wearing out their welcome wherever they went. Uh, the state of Chihuahua put a bounty on their heads and declared them to be outlaws. Um, they were also pushed out of Sonora, where they were also um, pushed out by authorities until they ended up in Arizona. So back in America, the gang became partners in a, um, a business on the Colorado River, where they were ferrying people across. And true to form, they killed Mexican and Americans returning from the gold fields and uh, stole their property as they passed off a uh, rival I'm sorry and they stole their property and sometimes murdered people they pissed off a rival a rival ferry service by sinking one of their boats and killing uh, some Quechuan natives a band of these Indians retaliated by killing and scalping Glanton and most of his gang so ironically you know he gets scalped by Indians in his death. Karma's a bitch. Yeah. What is really strange, this prompted California to launch an attack on the Quechan Indians, I believe is how you say it. It's Q-U-E-C-H-A-N, so someone I'm sure will correct me on that, because guaranteed I'm saying it wrong. If you're going to send him an email to correct him, make sure you include a naked picture, please. Yeah. Um, it was, this was actually the beginning of the Yuma War. It started from 1850 to 1853. This military op operation did not go well and almost caused California to bankrupt, which I had never heard of that before. I couldn't find an estimate anywhere um, about how many people the Glanton gang was actually had killed. Um, but there's a book by... Um, 
uh, Bernard Lie by Jeremiah Clemens, who is um, a cousin to uh, Samuel Clemens, who has, that's uh, Mark Twain, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad actually has this book. Um, it includes uh, Glanton as a character in that book. And it's an early fictional work about um, the Texas Revolution. Um, so as soon as he's reading it, I'm, as soon as Homer's done reading, I'll have to get it from him. Oh, yeah, and he was a distant relative, as we know. Uh, Samuel E. Chim Chamberlain also has a book called My Confessions, The Recollections of a Rogue. Um, this He was part of the Glanton gang, and it's a first-person experience of this situation uh, you can buy this book on amazon currently 550 bucks so i haven't jumped on that purchase yet i really want to read it um but this served as a primary source of information for carmack mccarthy's book uh, blood meridian blood meridian you can readily get and it's a little easier it is a work of fiction um to me it's it's like the western version of the nine circles of hell i mean it's it is so reading it makes you feel disturbed in a way that's different from anything i've ever read and it's amazingly hardcore it's recognized as one of the greatest american novels of all time it is extremely violent um there there's a dark biblical quality to it um there's no quotation marks or apostrophes to show contractions or ownership and arch archaic words are used that only people at the time would understand. A lot of stuff I had to like look up. I'm like, what? What? It's like Middle English. It's a blanket under a horse saddle. I'm like, oh, that's what they call that. I would never know that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Maybe a farrier would, but there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, there's been a lot of attempts to make it into a movie. Um, they've all failed because it's simply too violent. Um, and there's a character in the book called Judge Holden who is a fat, hairless, um, he's like a master of the world guy. Some people think he is actually the devil in the book. Um, probably pretty close. But definitely, um, if you have a must-read list, Blood Meridian is needs to be at the top. I'm completely unfamiliar. I've, I've, I think my dad has that book too, so I'll get it for you. You, you definitely need to read it. So wait, why is the original text... So the the first person text you described so expensive is it because there aren't many copies of it I think available? it's out of print. Yeah, it's I think out it's of out print, of print, and there's only a few of them out there, so yeah. it's collectible and not printable today, probably. Yeah, that's my guess. But um, Blood Meridian, you can get a, a court. Cormac McCarthy's known for a lot of things. Also, uh, No Country for Old Men is a book he wrote. Yeah, that's I'm ever familiar with that? the movie. I've yeah, that's a great that's movie. Clint Eastwood, if I recall. Uh, Clint Eastwood? No, not Clint no, Eastwood. It's, uh, I don't uh, know the Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, you think you're right? Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. We're guaranteed to be wrong about anything we speculate. No, on. I mean, yeah, no, no, don't don't fact check anything we say. I mean, Lefroy Tim doesn't lie. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, what's your uh, what's your short story? That was the short one. Oh dear. <laughs> so this, I've been meaning to talk. We've talked about this a little, and I know Glenn Beck has talked about this guy. Um, and uh, there's a lot of discussion about this guy in a series, um, a podcast I listened to called Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. And I'll give some information at the end of it. Um, I think his middle name might be Mike. It's, well, it's not true crime. It's a history podcast, so mm. you're okay. You can be named whatever. <clears throat> but this is about the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was born uh, December 18th, 1863, and died on um, May 28th, uh, or I'm sorry, that's June 28th, 1914, at the age of 50. I don't even know what an archduke is. Yeah, so he was the heir to Austro -Hung the Austro-Hungarian throne. His assassination in Sarajevo um, caused the Austro-Hungarian declaration of war against Serbia. 
This caused Serbia and the Austro-Hungarian allies to declare war on each other, resulting in what we know. And somehow that resulted in half the world dying. Like all these, yeah. all these countries that are just like minor players now, or they don't even exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, this guy's execution resulted in World War One. Right, right. Uh, his full name, this is great, is Franz Ferdinand Karl Carl Ludwig Joseph Maria. Between him and his wife, Sophia, they had three children, Prince Ernest von Hauenberg, Princess Sophia, and Maximilian, Duke of Hohenberg. Really makes the case for no royalty. Yeah. He traveled the world and hunted a lot when staying with the Duke of Poland. Uh, they went game shooting on the Welbeck estate. In the Duke of Poland's memoirs, men, women, and things, he says, quote, One of the loaders fell down. This caused both barrels of the gun he was carrying to be discharged, the shot passing within a few feet of the Archduke and myself. I often wondered whether the Great War might not have been averted or at least postponed had the Archduke met his death there and not in Sarajevo the following year, end quote. It's pretty hardcore. On um, June 28, 1914, in a motorcade visit to Sarajevo, the Archduke and his wife in an open car, now displayed in the Museum of Military History in Vienna, so you can still go see it, were attacked by, um, I don't even think I can attempt to say this guy's name, Nedeljeko... Cambrivonic, who threw a grenade at their car. It bounced off and exploded under the next car, injuring 20 people and spreading blood and mayhem on the street. That could be the name of this episode right there, Blood and Mayhem. So the, the, the driver saw the guy with the grenade throw it and he was able to like goose the car enough so it like bounced off their car but it, it still caused um it to go off behind him there were multiple people set up hey, along hang on the one street. second i just yeah. want to make sure so this is a car we're talking about not a truck it is not a truck at all <laughs> this attacker as well as two others were suffering from tuberculosis and they knew they would not live long plus Another three men in their group just plain hated the Archduke. Fueled by their anarchist views, they were happy to give their life for the cause. The first conspirator lost his nerve, so they were like stationed at different points up the street to try to kill this guy. The second guy missed with his hand grenade and the other fours the other four bailed due to the crowd and the speed of the Archduke's car. So when they dodged the first grenade you know he like took he, yeah he took off so they weren't able to get him yeah to avoid capture this i love this story it's so off the wall the second attacker swallowed a cyanide tablet and jumped into a river to avoid capture <laughs> so here's the thing the cyanide tablet was old and just made him sick the river at the time was only four inches deep <laughs> Another failed attempt at suicide. He was quickly arrested and said, quote, I am a Serb hero, end quote. The Archduke and his wife drove to the governor's house to lodge a complaint. Um, that's what you do after someone tries to kill you in a foreign country. You need to go complain. Governor, to the governor. Here never listens to any of my complaints. Yeah, and he said, quote, so this is how you welcome your guest with bombs, end quote. After a short rest, they insisted on going to the hospital to visit the injured which is quite compassionate uh, no one told the driver about the route change and he drove the original route that they took it with the motorcade when they communicated to the driver that this was the wrong way he put the car in reverse to turn around and the car stalled at this point the weirdest they some people call this this the most unusual coincidence ever in the history of the world rivaling uh edwin booth saving yeah. <laughs> abraham lincoln's son from a train right yeah, right. yeah. Gra this guy's name was Gravillo princep and he was one of the guys that 
one of the five other guys that were trying to do this assassination was sitting at a cafe across the street um, realizing his second chance at the assassination which is unbelievable he walked across the street and shot the couple point blank he shot Sophia in the abdomen and the Archduke in the neck as he was dying he said quote don't die darling live for our children end quote did she they died en route to the hospital they both, both of died. them huh? yeah the what was the what was the firearm do you do you, do you know that i'll get there because right. my dad insisted that i mention that oh, and you, you're, you're gonna like this i need that detail yeah the grenade thrower and shooter were given 20 years in prison as they were minors so these guys are like teenagers dying of tuberculosis and um they were not given death you know um they wait, both wait what's that now they weren't given death 20 years in prison hmm but they were terminally ill. They both died in prison of tuberculosis and were buried in the same grave. Uh, the location was kept a secret. Um, the gun used was an FN model 1910. Yeah, we've talked about this before. The same model was used to execute Paul, Paul Dummer, president of France on May 6, 1932. And Huey Long, governor of Louisiana, on September 5th, 1935. Yeah. Not the same gun, but the same make. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, we had World War One. amazingly enough. Yeah, FN 1910, there it is. Yeah. So we'll put that somewhere on one of our Twitters. It's designed by John Browning. And I have a couple other firearms designed by John Browning. My High Power, which is also manufactured by FN out of Belgium. And the 1911, most famously, probably. Why did your dad insist on having that level of detail? Does he have an FN 1910 or something? He might, and plus, he just said, you know, a lot of people have been executed by that same make of gun. They're gettable. They're, they're, you can get them. It's just a tiny little round, too. Um, by today's standards, for that as a firearm for self-defense, that would be considered anemic and light for most most purposes. Yeah, point blank, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. That'll ruin your day, yeah. is terrible crazy stuff man so where are we dude where does this leave us the um only other thing i really have right now is kind of uh like a a serial killer from england that was actually a doctor is this the lady that we were talking what about the one that we're no, going to write to? I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. I'm still reading the book or, uh, or listening to the book. She's not ready for prime time yet. No. But um, this is amazing how this guy got caught. And I guess it's just greed, really, that does people in. Um, Harold Shipman is his name, born January 14th, 1946 in Nottingham, England died January 13th, 2004 in prison. Um, you'll notice January 13th is the day before his birthday is when he chose to kill himself um, by hanging. Uh, known as Doctor of Death, uh, the Angel of Death and the Good Doctor. He was a general practitioner uh, and got life imprisonment plus four years for forgery, you know. They estimate 250 victims that he killed from 1975 to 1998 in England. That's a big body count. How did he kill them? So he he um, was arrested on September 7th, 1998. In 1974, in his first general practitioner job, he was busted for forging prescriptions for Demerol for personal use. Mm -hmm. um, he was five, fined 600 pounds. I don't know how many dollars a pound is worth but it's a thousand bucks it's more than a dollar right 
Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what I thought. He continued as a general practitioner in Hyde, though th through the 80s, and began his private practice in 1993. In 1998, people from a funeral parlor expressed concerns about the high death tolls of Schiffman's patients um, to the coroner. Um, many cremation forms for the dead needed to be uh, countersigned. Uh, the police did not find sufficient evidence, though. So he would um, be the person that found the people dead and then sign the forms for cremation and have them cremated. Um, in the case of many victims when the family actually refused to allow them to be cremated because people's religious beliefs or stuff sometimes they stopped him and these were bodies that were later later exhumed and tested where they were able to finally catch him it was his last victim that really got him busted due to his own greed he forged a ridiculous will for kathleen grundy that left her estate valued at um 386,000 pounds to Dr. Shipman. So, I mean, this woman had, you know, children and family and stuff, and they're like, um, we know about the will. She would have never left her all everything to um, the doctor. Her body was exhumed and found to have traces of heroin. They give it some different name over there. It's, it's called, um, I forget what they listed it. So in England, heroin is actually used as a medicine. They use it for pain control yeah. of terminal cancer, cancer patients. And uh, Shipman showed computer documents that proved she had been on the medication for a while. Unbeknownst to him, the computer automatically time-stamped entry. So he was going back and, and putting that they had been on this drug many for a long time before he administered the fatal dose and they had never been on the drug but his computer shows all these entries from months and months ago were literally done on one day after their death so he computers are good at remembering computers things. no and uh and these previous heroin prescriptions were literally entered after her death so he was he, he was um basically cooking the books for years and he would do a lot of things. He was one of these doctors that would do home visits that wasn't done anymore. And he would literally be like, oh, I'll come check you out and I'll pick up your prescription. So he would write for double the amount and keep the other part. As one does. Yeah, for his own use. Uh, his MO was to administer a lethal dose, sign the death certificate, and then falsify records showing they were ill. He was found guilty of 15 counts of murder and one forgery on January 31st, 2000, life imprisonment. Uh, charges could only be brought on the bodies where the families uh, refused cremation ordered by Shipman. Their bodies were all exhumed and found to have lethal amounts of the drug administered by Shipman. One day before his 58th birthday in 2004, he hung himself in his cell with a bedsheet. It has been concluded that he killed at least 215 patients from 1975 to 1998. Goodness. Um, and you can watch on the Netflix. Um, there, I believe it's a two-episode uh, series, Harold Shipman, Driven to Kill. Um, I actually watched it, and it was uh, it's shocking that someone in the medical profession, that, that, that people just trust that much and... Like, uh, even one of the ladies that he killed called him Shippy, you know, for short. For I'm going to see Shippy, she would tell her daughter, you know. And He's probably Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. Yeah, so amazing, that guy. Um, shocking to me that, you know, you're, you're supposed to take care of people, and he was killing them for years. And finally, just him being greedy got him caught. Yeah. That's crazy, man. And technology basically got him caught. <laughs> The computers are good at remembering things. I, 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 computers are ruthless. They don't give a fuck. They don't care what your politics are. They don't care if you're nice. Not if you're nice. They just remember and, and report. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so I found, I found that one interesting. I know 
neither of us are named Mike, so we're not qualified for true crime. Vibe. We're not. You'd need to fact check every letter of that diatribe because neither of us are named Mike, so none of it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it can't possibly be correct. Cool, man. Well, yeah. are we wrapping up? or? Yeah, so I'd just like to give a shout-out to my YouTube channel, Mr. Cole's Homebrew, where I feature underground music so underground the underground doesn't know. Uh, you can hear bands of my friends like Church of the Seventh Angel, Uncle Daddy, and, of course, my bands, The Word, Captive Bolt, and new stuff coming from uh, my new band with me and Wyatt, Eternal Faint. And my friends at All Orange, you'll be hearing some of their music soon. Questions and opinions, email us at 84ounces2freedom.com at gmail. Particularly with naked pictures. 84ounces2freedom at gmail.com. I said that totally wrong, I know. Uh, mark all naked pictures, attention Dave. I'll make sure he gets them. Hit us on the Face, Bizzer, and Twitter sphere. Um, still working on the Instagram, even from last episode. I haven't gotten any better. Uh, thanks for following along. I wasn't drinking anything on this episode, but Dave, what are you drinking? I'm hammered. I'm drinking Lefroig 10, and I'm going to leave us with a toast that I heard. The guys on Whiskey Tribe do it all the time, and I like it. So here's to fighting, drinking, and stealing. So if you fight, may you fight for a friend. If you steal, no, yeah, if you steal... May you steal a lover's heart, and if you drink, may you drink with us. And also, we are on the Patreon. I don't really understand everything I'm supposed to do, but supposedly you can send us beer money through it. We thank you for your support, and we'll see you next time, since we never know what that will be. Asta. Thank you, guys.